Well, we're picking up in our series on Elisha, on the miracle of the barren woman's son. And now this is a, a story of uh, a wife and how Elisha would pass through her town. And she noticed that he was passing through a lot. And so she made a suggestion to her husband, hey, let's make a place for him. And it, it describes her as a great woman, someone who's kind of maybe a higher up in society of, you know, someone who is respected. And, you know, maybe at that position, someone who's well off or, you know, has the, the ability to have an extra room in their house just for guests, you know, in that kind of position, normally they would care for the things of this world because they have the ability to obtain them. But this lady cared for the needs of the prophet of God. And so, uh, you know, she said, let's set a room aside with some furniture and a bed and so forth. And, and they made that. And it was a place where he could rest, where he could just kind of be there passing through. He must have traveled, had a circuit where he ministered or something. And so even though she was a great lady, she cared for the needs of, of this man of God. And you know, when you think about it, you know, even for believers and even in our own lives, we can find ourselves so easily caring for the things of this world, that that's where our, our focus is. But God is searching. He's searching for something specific. And we can read this in, in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9 of what he's searching for. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are running Throughout the whole earth, they're looking here, they're looking there for a purpose, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. That's an amazing statement. God is searching actively. It's kind of like his spotlight is out, just like, where can I find someone I can show my strength to? Lord, I want to be one of those. I want I want to know your strength. But what who is he looking for? Those whose heart is towards him. Is after him, is focused on him, is looking and seeking him and doing those things that please him. Now this was originally spoken cuz I didn't finish the verse. It says, "But herein you have done foolishly, and now you're going to have war." Now this was spoken to King Asa. Um, and he followed God at the beginning and had he, in fact, he had faith to fight a battle against the Ethiopians when he had a tiny army and the Ethiopians had a million people. That must've been some big faith, but then later on, he didn't keep his focus on God. And when a much smaller army came, he paid some foreign nation to fight his battle for him. He lost his faith in God. He put his focus somewhere else. And God was speaking to him, I am searching for someone who will put their focus on me, who will cause their heart to be towards me. But you stop doing that. God is searching. Because he wants to show himself strong towards us, towards his people. And so the Lord did that to this lady because she had an issue. She was barren. She couldn't have children. Um, 
that's kind of a hard thing to think about in today's society. But back in, in her society, to not have a child was deep shame because basically you were not carrying on your line. Right? You were, you were a disgrace not just to yourself but to your family because you weren't continuing the name of your family and so forth. And it's not that she had a choice, but it was a shame to her. And, you know, in the, in the spiritual, sometimes we can have things that we feel the need to do or, or desires or, you know, promises or goals or ambitions or so forth. But sometimes we can go through long and intense times where we don't see that fulfilled, where we're still crying out, Lord, aren't, you've told me to ask in your word. Isn't, haven't you promised if you ask with faith, we'll receive what's going on. Why am I barren in this area that is not bad? It's good. You want to do this stuff. You want to bless me. Why am I not seeing fruit? But yet there's a thought here when we look at barrenness in, in Scripture of how God uses that to work, often to produce some very great fruit. And so sometimes going through seasons of barrenness can be a foundation for fruitfulness. And, you know, you can look at some of the barren women and how they, they birthed some mighty people of God, men, men and women of God. But I, I was just thinking about Joseph. I mentioned about the Bible reading plan. So I'm in Genesis reading, you know, and, and I got to Joseph uh, and, you know, he's in Potiphar's house and he's in prison and, of course, he's learning to reign in the depths of his trial. But what a trial. Because when he was a young man of 17, he had visions of God wanted to, to use me in such a way that my family would be looking to me in a glorious way. But, Lord, here I am. I don't know if you could get more opposite of the vision and the promise that God gave to Joseph. But in fact, he was far down the road of fulfilling that vision. But he had to go through a time of deep barrenness where he only saw the depths of his trial. But in a day, God turned it. And literally, in a day, right? The baker remembered, or no, the butler. The baker, uh, he was no more. The butler remembered when uh, Pharaoh had that dream you know what? Oops, I remember. I promised him that I would remind you of him, but I didn't two years later. But you know, there's someone who interpreted a dream for me. He'll be help, useful to you. Basically, when you, uh, when you read Genesis, you think there was not much time in between the butler telling him and Joseph being whisked out of prison and shaving and changing his clothes, and here he is before. I mean, it wasn't a day. It was hours when his situation was changed but that's how god loves to work in his people especially when we've submitted to long seasons of barrenness it's almost like the more we submit that just that change can take place and so in a day god turns that situation because he had perfectly prepared him perfectly made him ready to step into that role. And so this barren woman did not, she didn't give up. 
right? Even in the midst of this, she was still a woman of faith because even in her barrenness, she wasn't at home, woe is me. I haven't had children and, you know, I'm, the Lord has taken away his hand from me. You know what she was doing? She was thinking about the prophet. What about his needs? You know, he, he, would, he would appreciate a place to sleep, a place of comfort. I'm going to think about, well, how can I increase the kingdom of God? How can I bless this person? And it was that focus on God and his kingdom that opened the door for the blessing to come into her life. It was a worthy investment, right? Because it wasn't just natural, even though she set aside, I don't know what she's using that room for. I don't know if there was maybe someone in there. She said, you know, that's not your room anymore. Or if she had to have some furniture made or what. But it was, it was a natural investment, but it had a spiritual reward, a spiritual return. And so there was the natural and the spiritual, right? She had to do that natural work, but the goal was what it was going to do in the spirit. And, you know, I was just thinking, there's always a blessing when we make room for God. When we make room for God in whatever way in our lives, in to work through us, for him to use us, there's always a blessing when we make room for God. I was just thinking of the story of David, King David. And, you know, we're all familiar with how he wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And there was a setback, right? Because Uzzah touched the ark and he died. So they put the, har- the ark in the house of Obed-Edom so they could figure out, all right, what do we do? Oh, oh, there's someone's house. Let's put it in there. Right? Hopefully no one will die. Figure out what to do. So 2 Samuel 6 and verse 11, it says, The ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told uh, the King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertained unto him because of the ark of God. Obed-Edom's house was blessed because he, I'm sure he made, opened up his best room. Oh, the ark of God's coming? I'm going to put that in the premier place. But, you know, it's an interesting concept that he's talking about here. It was only there three months. I don't know what kind of blessing can happen in three months, but it was so evident that it was reported back to David. The house of Obed-Edom, there's a blessing on that household because they opened up their house and they made room for the presence of God to dwell there. And whenever the presence of God, the room is made for the presence of God, the blessing of God will come. So much so that it stirred something up in David's heart. I don't know how long the ark of God would have remained in that house, but David heard that and it stirred something up and he said, I want that to happen to my house. And so he got, he, I don't know if he, at that moment, read the law and said, well, how do we move this ark in, the, in a way that's going to work, that's going to please God? Oh, the priests have to carry it on their shoulder? Okay, priests... Come on, we're moving the ark. It's coming to my house. 
And so David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness because he wanted the blessing of God to be upon his house and his city and so forth. And so, you know, we want to make room for the Lord because the blessing of God comes. And so this lady invested in the work of Elisha, right? And she did it in the natural, but it carried over. The blessing of God came upon her and upon her house in a very practical and literal way. You know, she received a child from it. And, you know, it's, it's, this is an important concept. You know, so I was studying, I was just struck by that fact. God wants to bless us if we will make room for him. And we can ask the Lord, because there was a natural component to this, right? The lady had to make natural room. And sometimes there is a natural component to allow God to come into our lives in a greater way. And so we might ask the Lord, Lord, what is that natural investment you are asking of me? What, what can I do to make more room for you? Now, God might ask people to set apart a certain time of the day to meet with him or a certain place in their house. You know, we, we stayed in one people's, one people's house and they, they showed us this is the room we use to pray. They set that room aside and they had a little altar where they came and knelt and they said, look, this is where we set that aside, our place in our house. All their kids had left. That's probably why they could do that. But this, we set this aside to spend time with God. You know, or it could be just whatever God is asking for. Sometimes it can just be, well, how about you take this thing out of your life so there's more room for me? Because that thing is a distraction. But we, it's important to ask God once in a while, Lord, how can I invest in what you want to do? in my life, or in the life of others, so that I can make room for you. So that you can show yourself strong on my behalf. Because he longs to do that. He's looking for that. And so the Lord showed himself strong in this lady's life by giving her a, a child, and he, which wiped away her reproach. And that's a wonderful story. It's a picture of what God wants to do. He wants to wipe away that reproach and bring new life. That reproach of having areas of our life that aren't filled with him or lacking or so forth or whatever he's taking us through that's working in us. He wants to transform it and bring new life as we make room for him. But Then there's another component to this story. Right? Because if we read on, we find that, well, the son lived a little bit, and then uh, we don't really know what happened. He went out in the field one day and said, Dad, I've got a headache. And he didn't get better. He kept getting worse and worse. And so the dad called mom, come in, take the son to the house. He's not feeling good. And, and the mom did that. And not too long after, he fell asleep and he died. And so it's almost as if, you know, we saw a story of faith before, but now it's as if it's taken to a new level. Because, you know, as you study the scriptures, you see people who, who are those of faith. At some point, 
their faith is always tested, isn't it? Some point they're going to go through something that tests their faith, that proves their faith, that makes them people of faith. And why are that? Why is that? Because we read about their lives and say, oh, wow, look at what God did in that situation, did through them or in them, or how they overcame because their faith was tested and they held on to God. We see that with Father Abraham, right? I mean, that's fresh because I'm still in Genesis here. You know, God telling him to take his son, Isaac, his child of promise, right? He would, that child, you know, in his life was bundled up everything. That's with us too. If, you know, through Isaac came the Messiah. And if Isaac died, well, that was the end of the line. Of course, that God had a plan and a purpose. But, and so that faith of Abraham was severely tested. Give me your son. Abraham had to literally put him on the altar and have the knife in his hand before God said, okay, now I know. It was a severe test, but he passed. Even though he didn't understand, his heart was fixed upon God. And God said to him, Genesis 22 and verse 12, as the knife is in his hand, he says, Abraham, lay not your hand upon the lad. Don't do anything unto him. For now I know that you fear me, that you reverence me, that you respect my ways more than anything else because you haven't withheld your only son from me. You haven't withheld even your greatest desire. What a test that Abraham had to go through, yet it revealed something in his, in his heart and in his life that God was precious in his sight, that his heart was perfectly towards him. As it says, that we looked previously that I can't. Second Chronicles. I, I should think that would be like in Isaiah or the prophets or something, but it's in Chronicles. That's why I can never remember that. But now God knew it was out in the open. And now we know what Father Abraham was like. Abraham revered and respected God more than anything else in his life. But sometimes, you know, when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in our own lives, we go through those testings. But sometimes you go through those and you do not feel very spiritual like Father Abraham, right? That, that you could lay your son on the altar, so to speak, in whatever you're, you're doing. Sometimes you go through that, that trial, that test, and it's as if your faith is holding on by a thread. Lord, I've, I have a hold of your faith, but it's by a fingernail. But that's okay, as long as we don't let go of that fingernail. Sometimes God designs it so that it's just that little thread we're holding on to because it works in us when we're clinging to it with all our might. And so you, you see this, the, the picture with this woman as her son falls sick and soon dies. But, you know, she doesn't panic in that sense. She doesn't start the mourning process. She doesn't go out and tell her husband that her son has died. Instead, she just says, I need to go see the prophet. 
That's where her focus is. I need, I have to go see the prophet. And she instructs her servant, don't stop for anything. We're just going to go and find him. You know, in one sense, she's holding it together because she has one single focus. And then when she gets to Elisha, then she doesn't hold it together. All she does, she just falls to his feet and just holds on to his feet. You get that sense. That was what she was doing. She was just holding on to that thread of hope in God. And she did that physically with, with Elisha, just holding on to his feet. And so you see a picture here of someone just clinging to the promise. Not, didn't even have a, a word of faith, so to speak, but of hope. Hope in who God is, in his goodness, in his mercy. Reminds me of Hebrews 6 and verse 17. It says, God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. I love this picture. As heirs of the promise, that includes us, the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham, that we lay hold of the hope that is set before us, and we don't let it go. I want us to notice something in this passage is that there's God's part, and then there's our part. God's part, it says, he showed to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel that by two immutable things, two unchangeable things, first by a promise, then by an oath. He promised something to Abraham, and then he made an oath he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, he said, I'm going to give his word to Abraham. And then he gave an oath and the highest he could do was by himself. There's nothing higher. And so he swore by himself that Abraham's seed would possess the nations of the earth. And that would be that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And of course, that came through the Lord Jesus. And we're blessed because of that. We're entering into the blessings that came upon the nations because of Father Abraham and those promises. But then there's our part. So God gave the the promise and the oath that are unchangeable. But there's also two things that we have to do. And our part, you could say, is is what verse is that? In which it's possible, God. Verse eighteen, where it says. Where in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have strong consolation. You know, God wants us to understand and embrace something in our lives that it is impossible for Him to lie. It is impossible for Him to do evil. It is impossible for Him to lead us into a an evil place. Why is that important? Because of the testing of faith. Because we are going to come to a place where our faith is tested, and sometimes severely. This lady was tested, and basically she was brought to that place where she could only hope have a, a thin 
thread of hope in the mercy of God. That's all she had. She clung to that just like she clung to Elisha's feet. And she didn't let that go. And it's so critical that we have that viewpoint in our lives, that it is impossible for God to lie because he's good, that he is a good God. Many times we can be tempted, right, when we go through those kind of situations, we can be tempted to question God. Lord, what in the world were you thinking when this, you allowed this to happen? Now, that's theoretical. I'm not saying that to God now. But that in our heart, those thoughts can rise up. Lord, why did you let this happen? I could, I could think of a couple of other scenarios that would have been better. But God, in his infinite wisdom, leads us into a pathway where he allows us to be tested. And in that situation, we have choices of how we are going to respond to God, what kind of confession we're going to make about him. Usually we can't help it. (laughs) We're going to confess one way or another, positive or negative. That's the test of life. Uh, I'll be honest, I haven't always passed that one. (laughs) But my cry is that I would do the second thing, which is the critical part where we flee for refuge to lay hold upon hope. We flee for refuge. In a way, we have to do the second part in order to fulfill the first part. We have to run to him and lay hold of hope. That hope that he is good, that he can turn the situation for good, that he loves us, that he cannot lie. He can only do what's good for us. You know, that's what this lady did. There were a lot of different ways this lady could have reacted. Right? Even in, not, not in that she would have been ungodly either. She could have reacted in many different ways. She could have mourned. She could have given up. Say, well, if the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, I guess he wants to take my son. But she held on to hope. She fled for refuge to the one hope she had was going to the man of God, submitting the situation to him and seeing if God would work. And because of that, God moved and restored life in her son. Of course, we know the story sent his servant and laid the staff on the son and that didn't work. So he kept going. He had to pray several times and the boy came to life. And so the test of life comes to us Because faith is tested at some point. The question is, what will be our confession? What will we say? Now, I'm not saying that we have to have some perfect response in our lips. I mean, sometimes you just, the situation is just plain difficult and so forth. And, but when it comes down to what we're going to say about God in that situation, our confession must be, Lord, it is impossible for you to lie. Let God be true and every other man a liar. That means the problem is always with us, never with God. But you know, if that's the position we will take and we learn to run to God and lay hold upon that hope that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, 
that he's good and that he can turn all things for good for those who love him and follow his plan and his purposes. If we'll make that our confession and the foundation of our lives, it will work in us so that we come to a place, as it said in Hebrews, of strong consolation. I like that word. Strong consolation. Not just like a pat on the back, like you'll, you'll get over it. Strong consolation. That's where God wants us to live. Knowing that he will turn all things for good. And so we see a wonderful picture in the experiences of this dear lady. And it's what God wants to do in us today. And in the church in the last days. In our lives. He longs for us to come near unto him. Because he's searching for those hearts that will be towards him. Fully towards him. Those who will invest themselves in him and his kingdom. And he's searching for those he can show himself strong for, towards. He's looking for those who will lay hold upon him to learn to set our hope in him. To lay a firm hold upon that. Because we're fully persuaded that God is good and that hope will never fail us. And instead it will bring us to a place of strong consolation in him. And Father, we just thank you so much for, Lord, these examples we see in the life of Elijah, Lord, and how you are moving in his midst. And Father, we just cry out to you, Lord, as Lord, we, we know and we can anticipate that testing, or perhaps there's even testings we're experiencing now. Oh God, we cry out to you, Lord, that you would work within us. Lord, that you would draw our hearts to come unto you and to trust in you and to lay hold upon that refuge of hope in you. Lord, that we would make room for you in a fresh way in our lives. Lord, we even ask that question. Lord, would you show us, Lord, where we can make room for you in a new way because we long for the blessing of your presence. We long for more of your presence in our lives and for that blessing that comes. Lord, would you work within us Oh, Lord, would you cause our hearts and move our hearts to be fully towards you, we ask. Oh, Lord, have your way in us, we pray. We just thank you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.